my name is Kylie. Uh, today I want to talk about a um, little bit of work out for safety. No. Uh, today I want to talk about uh, a particular book in the Bible called the Book of Colossians. And the reason is, I don't know if any guys, you guys feel this way. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older. Um, 21 several times over now. Uh, 29. Um, but I feel like our culture is you know, Australian society culture is changing fast, isn't it? Do you just feel that more as you get older? I don't know. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But there's a, I feel like there's, there's a louder voice now than I've ever heard before of our culture saying Jesus is irrelevant. He's got no bearing whatsoever. Surely nothing he could have ever said or done has any bearing on anything we do now. Uh, in any sphere of our lives. Is this just kind of, he's irrelevant. Are you crazy? What are you talking about that old dude for? And underneath that, I think there's a little bit of a subtext where there is one way that Jesus can be relevant, uh, and that's as a decorative household uh, piece of decor. You know, if we would just demote Jesus and stop going on about him as though he's the be-all and end-all of everything, if we just demote him a little bit so he's kind of the same as all the other gods and types of spiritualities, then society would easily be able to embrace Jesus. If we would just allow Jesus to be like, you know, you can buy a Buddha statue at cheapest chips now and pop it in your garden. And if we would just drop Jesus down a little bit, demote him, uh, then, and if we said he's the same as all the other spiritualities and gods, then I think that that would be okay by Australia. And they could probably put his sayings, you know, he's got some really nice ones. We'd pick the nice ones out, put it on a, like the golden rule. Everyone likes that one. Normally when it's to do with other people, treat others as you want to be treated. We like to tell people that one, don't we? That's pretty. We could put it on a nice poster and add some trendy gold glitter to it and we could sell that at Cheapest Chips and it came out and Jesus would be embraced. So society's okay with that. But when we start to try and elevate Jesus and say he's more than anything else, that's when we're starting to encounter problems. And I think that for all of my life, I've seen a temptation uh, among Christians to when it just gets too hard to engage as a, you know, living my faith out loud in, in my life, when that just gets too hard, there's just this temptation to kind of have my private faith. My faith is private. It's my private faith. It's very precious to me as it was precious to my grandmother and it's, it's nice and private. And, uh, and the church is my, becomes my safe place where we have this holy huddle. You know, did you ever play chases as a kid? And there's always that one annoying kid in the neighborhood, like your milliseconds, you're it, and your milliseconds from touching them, from tagging them, and then they'll be it. And they just stand over an imaginary line and go, safe, safe, I'm safe, sees, safe, can't get me now. And there's just this impossible rule to break. I mean, you can touch them, but the it doesn't come off on you, does it? They just can't break that childhood barrier. Once they say they're safe, that's it, they're safe. And uh, I think that this temptation to separate ourselves and become this kind of private secret society as Christians, uh, and we think, start to think of the church as a safe place, like we just quietly go about our private faith through the week, and then we race here on Sunday and go, safe seas, made it, nothing can touch me now, that stuff out there. To the point 
where you can look around your life and you have not one single friend who's not actually a Christian. And instead of going, wow, I wonder if it's meant to look like this and I wonder if this is a problem, we go, all that crazy stuff I heard on the TV and stuff, but it doesn't affect me because I'm safe. So then we've got this temptation on one side to go demote Jesus and make him the same as all these other spiritualities around the world and around our society or make it all private and secret and safe and become this holy huddle. And the book of Colossians, get my tag going. The book of Colossians is a book written by Paul around 60 AD to a church in Colossae. I think I'm saying it right. I Google translated it. Colossae, um, who are going through a really similar sort of experience of this tension. They've got these two loud voices at them, one from each side. Uh, If you're not very familiar with the Bible, the Bible isn't actually one book. It's like 66 different books written by different authors over a long, long period of time. And it helps to know a little bit about the background of each book and why it was written. And then we believe that God inspired those writers and that God inspires us. He speaks to us through the Word of God today. Um, But as you know more about the background and the history and the context, God's got more to work with, I guess. He can speak to us in a greater way. So what I want to do today is just look at what was going on to cause this book to be written. Not even a book, actually. If you, um, it's like four chapters, pretty lame book. And the chapters are like half a page each. That's not even actually a book. It's a letter. It'd be more correct for me to say Paul's letter to the Colossian church, so a bunch of Christians uh, who were the church. Now, they've got two voices. They're mostly new Christians. They haven't been brought up in the, in the Jewish faith or anything. They're just brand new converts, most of them. And uh, they've got this voice at them. Uh, this voice to cling to tradition as though you have to separate yourself from society in order to be able to faithfully follow God. That's what this voice is saying. For thousands of years, the Jewish people, as Michael was bringing up, the Jewish people had this law. They had, you know, they separated themselves through, they separated the flesh with circumcision. They separated themselves as a society. They couldn't intermarry. They didn't even touch people who were outsiders. They didn't touch dead bodies. They all separated those. Michael talked about people being separated outside of the walls if you've done something wrong, um, separated permanently through the, from the community. Women had to be separate for certain times of the month. They even separated like different bowls and utensils in their house. Not because this was really important to God that you don't mix this bowl and that bowl or put meat together in the bowl that you normally mix milk in, but just to constantly reaffirm these rituals were constantly reaffirming to them this idea of being separated for God and uh, that, you know, the, the godly is different from the earthly and the good is different from the bad. The light is different from the dark. But for the Jewish people, it was still a mystery. And these Jewish people are trying to push that onto the Colossians and say, well, you believe in Jesus, but you also have to still be circumcised and still don't touch this and don't taste that. You can't have bacon Um, All these kind of things. I know, terrible. Like really important rules here. You have to be circumcised and you can't have bacon. Um, 
But in Jesus, and the Colossians maybe couldn't articulate this, maybe they couldn't figure out exactly why they thought it was wrong, but for the Jewish people, uh, why they were doing these things was a mystery. And in Jesus, we have the revelation. Jesus, in Jesus, it's not a mystery anymore how God works. So they didn't need to consistently reaffirm those mysteries by the rituals anymore. They had the full revelation in Jesus. But they didn't know how to word that. So they have got this voice going, you should be doing all these rules. Don't touch, don't taste, get circumcised, don't have babies. That's not actually in there, but... It's one of the things that they couldn't do. How shocking is that? On the other side is the culture of the day. So in Colossae, Colossae used to be a thriving city, big, big city. uh, And um, so it's been like on this trade route for many hundreds of years. It's had lots of different cultures coming in. So they had loads of gods. They've got the native Phrygian gods with a PH. Uh, as well as the Greek and the Roman gods. They've got heaps of gods. They've got a really big emphasis on spirituality and visions and having like emotional spiritual experiences. They love that stuff. They're all for lots of gods and lots of spiritual experiences. And I feel like Jesus could have easily been accepted if he would have just done the deal, not rocked the boat, and become a nice statue along with all the other statues. If he had have just being one of the types of the spiritualities, then there wouldn't have been a problem. But the Christians keep rocking this boat and saying, I don't think that Jesus will go down that path and be a statue among all the other statues. And around the world in the 60 AD, it's just four years before Nero did his big persecution of the Christians, is the Christians are starting to be annoying in cities and they're starting to get a bit of persecution as they just won't get on board with being one of the many, or Jesus won't get on board. So I'm going to put it like this, the two voices around them. On the one side, they've got the trends, and on the other side, the traditions. And smack bang in the middle, this church of Colossian, the Colossian church, going, how do we navigate this? What do we do? How do we not get involved with all the spirituality and make sure our faith and looking at Jesus is pure? And yet we don't want to sort of huddle away and become separated and go back to all those rituals that we don't need to do. And that's why the letter to the Colossian church was written. And doesn't that sound a little bit like what the Australian church experiences today? A little bit like the tension that we feel in our lives today. I feel like every, the whole church and every person walks the same line that the Colossians did 2,000 years ago of all these spiritualities and you just play the game and let Jesus be one way and everything will be fine. And on the other side, if you're going to stand up for Jesus, can you just do it privately and not make a fuss? Trends or tradition. And the letter of Paul, the letter of Paul to the Colossians shows us, what do we do to this? How do we navigate this? Where do we go? Do you want to know? (laughs) As we've already heard from Brooke and we've already heard from Michael and we've already sang it in these resurrecting king songs, Paul says in the book of Colossians, trends or traditions doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter how different the culture is. Jesus is supreme over all of it. 
That's the answer. Jesus is the first and the last and supreme over all of it. And it's not about following rules and regulations. And it's not about just feeling your way. It's about having an alive, active relationship with Jesus in every sphere of our lives, in our families, in our workplaces. In Colossians, he says, whatever you find yourself doing, even if you're a slave, even if you're a parent or a kid, whatever you find yourself doing, do it for the Lord. We put Jesus over everything. And that may mean consistently throughout our lives, going back to that, Jesus, how do I make you Lord of my life? How do I make you king in my workplace? How do I make you king in my new classroom where I can't stand my teacher? How do I make you king of, like, I've got this really annoying neighbor who keeps coming over and um, taking all the sugar, whatever. Jesus is supreme. He's over it all. That's the answer to that incredible tension that we always feel, never to run away and be in a holy huddle. Jesus never said, come on, guys, huddle. He said, go out. Go out to all the world. Get out. Come back on Sunday. No. <laughs> so I'm going to read a bit from the book of Colossians, chapter 1. God, chapter 1, verse 1, he starts hard straight away. Woo, get ready. Here we go. This is Paul. For This is God the Father. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Straight away we know Jesus gives us forgiveness of sins. He gives us his kingdom. It's not us tacking Jesus into our lives as one part of our lives. God brings us out of chaos and darkness and into Jesus' kingdom, where we live as Jesus wants us. I know in Australia, I'm sure it's none of you guys, but I hear it all the time. Maybe because it's, I'm a foreigner, I'm a Kiwi, and I'm more listening out for it. But people always say, don't come to our country and not follow our rules. Have you heard that? It's very Australian. Um, I'm like, I am following the rules. Why do you keep saying it? Um, there was a time when we had a different give way signal in, in New Zealand, and I normally got that one wrong. And, but after about 10 years, I'd see other people doing it, and I'd be like, Kiwi. Because <laughs> I knew they don't know that give way rule. I'm one of you guys now. But we don't come to Jesus and tack him on to our, our lives as like an accessory into our lives. We take, get, take out of dark, the dominion of darkness and place into his kingdom. And then we've got to live by his ways. The next part, the son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. They're visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And I know sometimes if you watch, you know, any of those YouTube blogs about politics around the world, it doesn't seem like the politicians are working for Jesus. But God has ultimate authority over every single authority on this earth. Every single authority will bow its knee to Jesus. All things are for him. All, everything we do is for him, and we can only find our purpose, our destiny, our meaning to our lives, our identity through him. There is no other way. It's through him, for him, in him. That's the whole circle. 
There's no thing outside of him. He says, Paul says, he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church. We can't despise the church because that's Jesus. It's Jesus' body. We can't be, I'm a good Christian, I follow Jesus, but I certainly ain't having anything to do with that church lot because he's all one. Jesus is the head. I know we're lousy sometimes. We're all humans. Don't look around. It's all right. <laughs> We're all humans here. But he is the head and we are the body. And Jesus holds us all together. And we think, I know a lot of you are visitors here today. Imagine your own churches as well. But we're all part of this one universal church. We think, oh, that looks like a good church. I'll rock up there or it's convenient time for me on a Sunday or whatever. But uh, actually, God has brought us together. We never made the first move. Jesus is the one making the first move. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in everything, he will have supremacy. For God was pleased to have the fullness of God dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's lots of different kinds of spiritualities in the world, and certainly the people of Colossae were, were aware of that. There's all these different kind of spiritual rituals going on and spirits, and, and Paul's saying Jesus is above it all. Every spiritual power is subjected to him. Once you are alienated from God, and you were enemies to God because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. So we will be presented to God holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Wow, I underlined that bit. Free from accusation is how we come to God through Jesus. This last part, he says, you, if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from this hope held out in this gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under, under heaven. The Message Bible says it like this. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in this bond of trust, consistently tuned to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted by trend or tradition. There's no other message, just this one, and every creature under heaven gets the same message. The message Bible is called. There's no other message. There's only this one. There's lots of spiritualities and lots of whatever around. There's lots of different ideas and philosophies. There's only one true thing, which is Jesus is God. And as Michael said, nothing gets added to it. He doesn't need any more help. Jesus is supreme and the king over everything. There's no other message. So don't be distracted. Let's not be distracted by the latest trend and philosophical idea or, or this temptation maybe that's an inner voice to just go private faith and and keep secret and and be separated and separate ourselves and only work with Christians and talk with Christians and and see everyone else as an outsider that's not the way we're called to live so in this first hallelujah how good is that high five the person next to you come on oh I love it <laughs> Good. 
so good. It was good interaction, guys. So, <laughs> so the first chapter of Colossians, this is Paul's big thing. He's like, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is supreme. He's the beginning, the end, the, the everything in the middle. Everything finds its purpose, its identity, its meaning in Jesus. In the second chapter, remember there's four. In the second chapter, he goes through like why you don't need to cling to those old things. Don't be judged, he says, by people saying, why aren't you following the Sabbath or don't touch this or why aren't you eating bacon? Again, that's paraphrased. Uh, and then in the third and fourth chapters of Colossians, Paul spells it out because we need a bit of spelling out sometimes, don't we? He spells it out. He takes the Roman code, uh, which is like the Roman law of the household, and he changes it so much that to be based on Jesus as the king of the house, that the Romans and Greeks wouldn't have even recognized it anymore. We read that now and go, oh, yes, uh, wives need to be subjected to men. But actually, uh, it's a breaking through. It's a taking away of the hierarchy and say Jesus is the hierarchy. Jesus is the head. And the rest of us, we submit to each other out of love. And everything is submitted to Jesus. So the letter to the Colossians shows us, Oh, in the first part, I didn't mention, Paul talks about his suffering. In the first part, oh, sorry, the letter to the Colossians shows us in suffering, in our family relationships, when we have temptations in our heart to be silent about our faith uh, or to go back to the old rituals and follow rules and regulations, or when we've got these voices around us saying, like, do these funky new trends or one spirituality is the same as the other. In all of that, Jesus is above it all. Set your eyes on him. <clears throat> it's good. It's good. So now I just want to take it back one big step out of the book of Colossians and just look at Paul because this guy is crazy for Jesus. A little bit crazy. Paul, I mean, when you hear this kind of stuff, soaring revelation through him, for him, all things are created. He exists before everything. He holds everything together. Not that one. I'm complete in him. Oh, all these kind of soaring revelations. You must think, Paul surely wrote this just after he's been given the job of king or something. Or maybe the dude's just won lotto. Like, he's flying high, right? This is a, oh, he's out there praising God. But Paul did not just win lotto. He didn't get any sort of commendation at all. He's just in prison when he writes the book of Colossians. And he's been in prison for ages, oh, just ages. He's already been in prison for a couple of years. And then he gets, as a prisoner, he gets put on a boat and they have this terrible shipwreck and they all almost die and they drag themselves to the beach. And then he's still a prisoner and he goes with the guards and now he's under house arrest in Rome. And you might think, oh, house arrest, that doesn't sound too bad. But he, he's there for an undefined period of time. And currently, when he writes the book of Colossians, it's possibly been a year or two, and he still has the threat of execution. So uh, not that great, but Paul doesn't even care. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh, man, I've been thinking about Paul this week because I've had a few barriers coming against me this week. I'm like, I want to be like Paul. He sets his eyes on Jesus regardless of what's going on and around him. And to the Colossians, he says, set your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In three, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, set your heart 
on the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above, not on the earthly things. So he wasn't able just to wander off from his jail cell. He's still involved in earthly life. But his heart and his eyes are set on Jesus and not on the changing circumstances and whatever around him. And he calls us to do the same. He's like, it doesn't matter about what's going on around you. Set your heart on Christ above. He didn't even care that he was in prison. He just never even cared. His attitude, if you read the letters that he wrote in prison, comes through. Uh, he's just like, awesome, Jesus. I never would have had all these guards to talk to. And now I can speak to them about Jesus. He, they thought, the Romans thought they were capturing Paul, but in giving, their, giving him guards stationed at his house, he's like, I've got a captive audience now. They have to stay here, and I'm telling them about Jesus. He went before the governor and a whole bunch of um, people, and he's in chains, and he's just like, sweet. I never would have got to talk to all these people about Jesus. And he makes a joke about his chains. He's like, I wish all of you guys were like me, except for the chains, lol. He doesn't even care. He doesn't even care about the chains. You can hear it. I know it doesn't say lol, but you can hear it. He just makes a joke of it. They put chains on him and he's still more free than they ever could be. The chains don't even matter. They're just like, it's like wearing nail polish, just something on my hands. It means nothing, but I'm free in Jesus as he speaks to them. They put, he's under threat of death. He's in prison for years and years. You don't even see it in the scriptures really unless you look really hard because he doesn't complain. He's just like, oh good, some time to write some letters. And he writes this series of what we call the prison letters to encourage them. You know, when he gets shipwrecked, that's probably one of my favorite parts of the scriptures. He's taken from prison. He's a prisoner. He gets shipwrecked during the storm. He's encouraging the others to be faithful to God. Not afterwards, not when they know they're saved, during the storm. He's saying, let's follow what God's telling us. We have a relationship with Jesus during the storm. Don't wait until after. Follow his instructions during the storm. And then it's like Titanic. They get washed up on the beach on like pieces of the boat by the time they're washed out. And then it's raining. Doesn't that just, you didn't, oh gosh. But like I get to my wit's end and then it rains and then I start crying. The guy's shipwrecked, crawls up onto the beach off his plank and then it's raining and he's cold and the natives of the island, they're like, oh, we're on Malta. Sweet. Let's talk about Jesus to the Maltese people. They build a fire. A snake comes out and bites him. And then all the Maltese people are like, oh, he'll die now because that snake always kills people. And Paul doesn't die. He just won't quit. Even his body is too stubborn to just see any barrier for Jesus. He's like, that won't stop me. I'm telling people about Jesus. There's no, he doesn't even see it as a barrier. He's like, oh, good, this will show them the glory of God. I would have stopped way earlier back at the rain, way before the snake bite. And I know how to treat those. <laughs> so, uh, when my daughter was very young, I think she was about three, <clears throat> she had a severe anaphylactic reaction. And I was at home, so she had a really severe allergy. It happened so fast. It was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, She stopped being able to breathe. Her airways swelled up. Her face blew up like a blowfish. Couldn't even recognize her. Um, And uh, she's gasping for breath. And she went very still and 
flopping quiet. It just happened so fast. And where we lived in Western Australia, uh, there was a hospital, thank God, uh, because otherwise she would definitely have died. There was a hospital a few minutes away from my house. And uh, in that place, there's a volunteer ambulance. So I knew if I rang, then it'd take a few minutes to get the address, and then they'd call the volunteer ambulance crew, and then they'd uh, go to the hospital and get the van, and then they'd come to my house. I just thought I'll be quicker if I run to the hospital with my, with my dying baby. And as a first aid trainer, I don't always recommend that. <laughs> I recommend that you call the ambulance. But in this particular instance, I thought, this will be quicker. I'm not far from the hospital, genuinely not far. So I picked her up. I'm like, oh, sh- everything's okay. Um, but she's stopping breathing, like hardly could breathe at all. And I ran through everyone's backyards. I didn't follow the road. That would take far too long. I just... I like to think I was gracefully hurdling things out. I wasn't. (laughs) That's how it is in my mind, but I know that's not true. I'm hoping there's no dogs. I'm just like, every fence just, I'm hoping no one stops me. I wouldn't have stopped, would I? And every chain fence, there's all these kind of fences this high, and I'm carrying my daughter like this. She's slowly stopping, rapidly stopping breathing. And every fence, do you think I even saw that as a barrier? I saw it as, thank you, God, there's a fence here I can climb. This is a shortcut. Even these things that look like barriers are a blessing to me. This is life or death, and I can jump these things, and I can get there. Even things that appear to be barriers are a blessing to me. It makes it quicker to get this life or death situation. We got to the hospital. I ran in like this, threw the child at them, and uh, they already knew us. This happened before, and um, and they treated her, and she lives. (laughs) It's a happy ending. She lives. (coughs) Yay. Thank you, God. Uh, But see, Paul has had a revelation that Jesus is supreme over everything, that he's the first and the last. He holds all things together, and it's a life or death situation to follow Jesus or to be outside of following Jesus. And so even things that appear to be barriers, like being in prison or being shipwrecked or people not listening to him or snakes biting or he was stoned to death and left for dead. He was pelted and tortured. Uh, The Romans beat him many times. Uh, People, he's been homeless, all these things. He says, those aren't even barriers. Those are just another thing I can use to keep pushing forward to Jesus. There's nothing that will stop him. This is what he says to the Colossians. If you are serious about living this new resurrected life, if you're serious about living this new resurrected life, I might get the musicians up, actually, and in a moment we'll play through the um, resurrected bit. Yeah, not the verse, just the good bit with the drums. Come on, Jansen. If you're serious about living this new resurrected life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, or looking to the things right or left or in front of you. Look up. Be alert to the things of Christ. That's where the action is. See things from His perspective. I want to live the kind of life. Come on, let's have the drums. Let's get into it. (laughs) I don't currently, and it makes me annoyed at myself, but I want to live the kind of life where 
I could be so free in myself, in my spirit to Jesus, that they could put chains on me and I don't even care. It doesn't even make any difference. I'll keep saying about the good news and the hope in Jesus. That I can be the type of person that circumstances can change for good and bad all around me, but my faith doesn't change. My heart doesn't change. My praise doesn't change. My heart is so fixed on Jesus. My eyes are fixed on Jesus that every decade our culture could completely change. This way one decade and that way the next. And we won't even care because our hearts are fixed on the eternal kingdom of Jesus. And the changing circumstances and the changing culture won't matter because we put Christ above it all. We stand with me. Come on, Jansen. <laughs> We're invited by this book of Colossians to enter into Jesus' kingdom now, not wait until heaven.